So they sent me an email. I thought it was a scam. I literally put it in my junk mail box. <laughs> Because I did not, I knew about the James Beard, you know, being a foodie in a sense, so I know how prestigious that award was. I was like, there's no way this is a scam. I guess I didn't respond to their email, so they actually called me. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay, okay, let me move that email out of my junk box now. <laughs> but yes, it was such an honor to be awarded the American Classic. It's unbelievable how much that means. It just means that we're accepted. Our food, our cuisine is being accepted. Hi, I'm Kelly Edwards, and this is Let's Go Together, a podcast from Travel and Leisure about the ways travel connects us and what happens when you don't let anything stop you from seeing the world. On this episode, we travel to New Orleans, Louisiana, New Orleans East to be exact, home of the vibrant, Vietnamese-American neighborhood known as Versailles. We're here to talk to our guest, Lynn Garza, whose family owns and operates the James Beard award-winning Dong Fong Bakery. So my name is Lynn Garza, and I work for my family's business in New Orleans, Dong Fong Bakery, big shop. And we have been there since the early 80s, 1982 to be exact. Over the past 40 years, the Dongfang Bakery has become a New Orleans institution, known for their banh mi sandwiches, known locally as the Vietnamese po' boy, and one of the city's best purveyors of the king cake, a Mardi Gras tradition. Lynn shares the story of how her family came to New Orleans East as refugees from the Vietnam War, and how they ended up opening the Dongfang Bakery. So my family left Vietnam in 1978. I was six months old when we boarded that boat. We were one of the boat people with hundreds of others, thousands of others. We left Vietnam, boarded the boat. It was a, to hear my mom tell me the story, it's quite amazing, it's unbelievable. To make that journey, we took the boat ride to Malaysia and spent a year in a refugee camp before we was able to make it to the U.S., but we were met with pirates. Wow. I was just going to ask, how long was that journey? Starting from where you began to Malaysia, and then Malaysia to the U.S. Well, from what uh, my mom tells me, you know, being on the boat, it was days of not seeing land. It was, it was pretty scary situation. And like I said, she said that pirates boarded the boat we were robbed. Uh, thankfully, there was no other situations that we heard of and other um, people had to face when they were met with pirates, uh, you know, rape or murders or anything like that. So we were thankful that we left, even though without our possessions, but we left with our lives. So mm -hmm. that in itself was uh, was a blessing. But, you know, after days, weeks on this open ocean, when we made it to Malaysia, they actually didn't want us. They were sending us back to sea. They were like, it's, it's full or whatever it is. And my mom said my dad was one of the first ones to jump into the water and just pulling the boat in and just say, wow. no, we're not going. We're not going back. Mm -hmm. And just hear her tell that story, it you know, still makes me quite emotional. Mm -hmm. You know, being a mom now, I just cannot imagine being so courageous to make that journey, six-month-old baby, mm -hmm. and my brother was two, and just leaving everything that you have, everything that you know, 
to the unknown just to give your family a, a chance at a better life. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when did your family arrive in New Orleans and why did they decide to start a bakery? Uh, we arrived in late 1979, 1980. My dad's uh, best friend was the one that sponsored us. He was living in New Orleans at the time. So that's how we, I guess, chose New Orleans or New Orleans chose us. Um, uh-huh. And, you know, there was already a community here. There was quite a few Vietnamese that left in, with the fall of Saigon in 1975. So there was already a population and already community. We settled in the what uh, became known as Versailles. It's actually Village de l'Est, but, you know, I guess um, Vietnamese with our roots and with some French influence, uh-huh. we, <laughs> we called it Versailles. And it was just a, a matter of uh, survival. We came over here with uh, no money, no knowledge of the English language, um, really no skill sets that would translate into making a living in a sense. Mm-hmm. So my mom, uh, her dad in Vietnam had a bakery. He's a baker. So, you know, growing up in her family, she has always helped out in the business, in the bakery. So she has learned, even though that was definitely not her career choice. She did not want to become a baker. <laughs> what did she want to become? She wanted to become a banker. <laughs> oh, wow. She wanted to dress up in those nice dresses, you know, mm-hmm. and going to work in an office. That was like a dream. Mm-hmm. She went to college in Vietnam, in Saigon, but uh, the bombs and the uh, the war was getting too bad. So she had to come home. It's so interesting because she wanted to put the B in banking and she put the B in baker. So (laughs) it's interesting what I've learned that when parents have these dreams, Mm -hmm. right, of their own and they take a different route and it's always for the sake of their family. The sacrifice. It's always for the sake of their family. Even though she didn't want it, that life, she learned. She knew how to make some things. and, And back then, it's like everybody has to chip in to make money to support the family. So in our kitchen, she starts making these little cakes and pastries, and she brought it to the local markets to sell. That's sort of how it uh, it got started. And um, my dad at the time was just working as a stalker at the local supermarket, you know, making, what, 2 $3 an hour or something like that. Uh, he was going to school at night. He wanted to be an engineer. He's... He was in the uh, Vietnamese uh, Air Force, and math and science was always his uh, his love. <laughs> he loved that part. So yeah. But when he realized that, hey, you know, the community, uh, she has such a support for her products because everybody wanted, uh, you know, a taste of home. Her cakes were selling like hotcakes. <laughs> you know, they were just uh, mm-hmm, doing mm-hmm. so well. And when he realized that, he quit and he helped her. And they kind of went from there. Well, I'll say this. When you say went from there, it's literally like the hottest bakery in the area. Like you guys have, I've seen the videos. You guys have lines out the door to get your products. So that's pretty inspiring to hear that. Tell us about the king cake, which seems to be like the main star of Dung Fu. Oh, the king cakes. So after Katrina, after Hurricane Katrina, a lot of bakeries closed. And uh, we thankfully was able to survive that. Another tragedy, uh, in a sense. 
we are located pretty far off the grid from New Orleans. We're like 20 minutes from downtown, and we're really the only bakery in the area. And we wanted to give our community a taste of this New Orleans treat, but they didn't have to drive too far to get it. But we knew that we had to sort of cater to the community's taste. Vietnamese people don't like too much of that really sweet, sweet dessert. So we made some changes. We changed the traditional kind of the sugar icing to cream cheese icing to kind of give it more savory taste Mm -hmm. rather than pure sweetness. Then we use our traditional brioche dough that we've always been using for our other products. And we use that as a base. My mom, with her 10,000 skill sets, one of them being sewing, she she started uh, to make that uh, shape um, because we were trying to figure out how do we make this uh, shape, this oval circular shape without having to braid the dough. And she said, hey, well, in sewing, if you were to try to make the fabric bend or or you just make slits in it, you just cut it, you you know. And so that's what she Uh did. uh And that's how we came up with the the shape and the the look that it has now that uh, we just kept. That's interesting because it sounds like, because I believe your mother's father was Chinese, right? So he was giving her Chinese recipes and then she obviously used, Mm -hmm. you know, her, the Vietnamese recipes that she would have. And then you come to America and then you make it also, you kind of change it up a little bit to fit other tastes as well. Mm -hmm. Yes. So the French influence, uh, like I said, my dad was so big on science and math and baking kind of fell into that, the science of baking. So he would study, we have a whole library of books that he would pour through, you know, the different uh, techniques, the different temperatures, the different ratios. He was so big on that and so that kind of helped us come up with the other recipes for like our french bread in vietnam because of the french influence it's surprising that you know a lot of people eat bread than rice yeah definitely you're right and coffee we drink coffee instead of tea instead of the tea yes because of that french influence so the hokey i mean we sold a hundred king cakes the entire season <laughs> that very first year. Wow. And we were so excited. And now? <laughs> and now it's like we make over 1,200 a day for the inside season. Oh, my gosh. And they're sold out every day. Yes, they're sold out every day. Oh, my gosh. What time do you guys start baking for them to be ready? <laughs> Is it like an overnight thing? It's all through the day. It's all through the night. We have uh, three shifts. I mean, we pretty much 24 hours when King Cake season hit. Wow. Yeah, baking, making it. So I'll say this. I've been to New Orleans several times, and I've never experienced or have been anywhere east other than like downtown. And now you're giving me a reason. Because when I think of New Orleans, I'm thinking of crawfish. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of Charles Boyle oysters, you know, po' boys, like all of that type of stuff is what I associate with New Orleans Mm -hmm. cuisine. And then here you go saying, hey, we got something over here too. That's really cool. And one thing that I I was wondering is, I was like, well, what does Dung Fu mean? It literally means East, right? It does. It does mean East. Wow. So journey East. (laughs) Exactly. Make that journey. 
it would be worth it 20 minutes outside 20 minutes outside (laughs) that's awesome that's awesome but because it's doing so well it's being received sounds like everywhere you won a very very prestigious award Uh, tell us about what it was like to win the james beard award so they sent me an email i thought it was a scam i literally put it in my (laughs) junk mail box Because I did not, I mean, I knew about the James Beard, you know, being a foodie in a sense. So I know how prestigious that award was. I was like, there's no way this is a scam. But they, I guess I didn't respond to their email. So they actually called me. (laughs) They're like, hi, we're real. (laughs) And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, let me move that email out of my junk box now. (laughs) But yes, it was such an honor to be awarded the American Classic. It's unbelievable how much that means. It just means that we're accepted. Our food, our cuisine is being accepted. Mm-hmm. It's being called an American Classic. It's it's unbelievable. And um, you know what the proudest moment <laughs> was for me was when my family called from our village in Vietnam and said, hey, there's a news article here oh, wow. about you guys about you winning the James Beard Award. I don't have the words it's just to express how wonderful, how proud we were to to be recognized, uh, not only here, but over there, uh, have our family. Absolutely. Not only did we, mm-hmm. we make it to America, we thrive, and we succeeded. It's just, and not only for us, but for our whole community, our, our culture, our people. Absolutely, that's beautiful. What would you say is your favorite item in the bakery? My favorite item is actually the very first thing my mom made, which is what my grandfather was known in Vietnam. It's the bun beer. It's a bean cake. It's a bean pastry. And I like the durian one. I know there's, you know. (laughs) (laughs) I know, I know. Durian what? Uh, I know durian evokes emotions. Emotions, uh, but I don't have an issue with the smell. I actually mm-hmm. love it. I think it's a very sweet, delicious fruit. And once it's in a pastry, I think it's amazing. <laughs> so that is actually my favorite. It's still my favorite. My uncles in Vietnam, they still run the bakery over there after my grandfather passed. And mm-hmm. they still make it. And I love it. I, it's one of my favorites. I think it would always be my favorite. Fine. Maybe I'll be more inclined to try it since you put it like that. Yeah. <laughs> Especially, and you're, you're partial to it because you're like, listen, this is like the first thing that my mother made. And so yes. I, I love that, you know, you're like, I'm going to tie this connection that I have with my love for my mother and, you know, everything mm-hmm. that has been sacrificed. And it's going to be through this amazing dessert. Yes, <laughs> so. and it's, it is amazing. After the break... Lynn tells us more about her neighborhood of Versailles and what it was like growing up as a part of a refugee community. Welcome back to Let's Go Together from Travel and Leisure. My guest today is Lynn Garza, whose family runs one of the hottest bakeries in New Orleans. So your family settled in New Orleans East in a community called Versailles, which you just, you know, shared with us earlier. Tell us about the neighborhood and what it was like growing up in New Orleans as a part of a refugee community. I think it helps. Uh, I think it really does because, you know, you come to a new place. You don't know anyone. Language barrier. So I think being able to have a community where 
English might not be needed when you have to go to the grocery store or, and things like to, to buy necessities and such. So I think it helps, but it also sort of uh, insulated me growing up there. Growing up in New Orleans East, I was away from all the tourists, but I don't think I I even went downtown until I was much older. My parents worked all the time at the business, and I helped out on the weekends at the um, the bakery. So there wasn't much time to go exploring. It's something I always wanted to do. When I moved away, I came back as a tourist just mm. so I want to see what right. see what others <laughs> see it about city. You know, I try to visit all the other areas. And were you shocked at what you experienced? Because it was like only 20 minutes away, like this has all been here this whole time and now I'm just experiencing it. It was, in a sense, it's beautiful. You know, I love Audubon Park, City Park. I love all the oak trees, you know, I'm a nature. So I love going down and seeing all those uh, huge houses on St. Charles. But I don't think I was ever really, since I didn't live in there, I'm not sure if I was ever really immersed into the whole culture that I guess others know of New Orleans. That, right. Because, uh, like I said, we were pretty separated. But besides food, you know, <laughs> I did try everything <laughs> food-wise. <laughs> but other than, you know, that I did feel a little bit away from the, uh, the, the city itself. How would you say the Vietnamese community in New Orleans is unique? I think we're unique in sense that we're close-knit, but we also try to adapt. We try to fit in through food, for one. Now you see a lot of uh, pho places around New Orleans. Mm-hmm. Every neighborhood in New Orleans now has a pho restaurant. <laughs> right. And then you see the rise in Viet Cajun seafood places. Huh. That's coming up. And you got to try that, girl. Yeah. I'm you like, have to try that. Viet Cajun. Oh, yum. Because I definitely like a little, I like a little <laughs> spice in my food. I like some mm-hmm. Cajun. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so you got to try that. And uh, just, uh, it feels like, you know, we're just resilient. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We were one of the first communities to come back after Katrina. Oh, wow. We stuck around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We didn't give up. How would you say that the Vietnamese community in New Orleans has changed over the years? Well, in Versailles, it's still predominantly Vietnamese. We actually have street names in Vietnamese now. Oh, wow. Saigon Drive. And, you know, <laughs> so it has expanded in a sense. But you also see a exodus of the next generation Vietnamese. My generation, generation after me, they have starting to expand out. They're living in other parts of New Orleans now. But we do also see new immigrants uh, coming in. After Katrina, we have an influx of Hispanic population in our community. They're Spanish mass now at our church. Oh, wow. Yeah, so there's a small Latino market. And at the bakery, we actually, uh, we have uh, almost um, half of our employees are Hispanic. And we have expanded into the the Latin um, products. Wow. Uh, my mom always made it flan, but I didn't know that was had some Hispanic roots growing up. I was like, oh, I love flan. Is it called flan? It is. Oh, man. 
I didn't know that. Well, it's a different accent. It's a ban flang oh. instead of flan. It's flang. Right. Right. You know, so. <laughs> well, I live in LA. I know a lot about flan for sure. <laughs> it's interesting that you're saying, like, in a way that the two communities were merging in some different areas, as you said. You know, they have a mass now, mm-hmm. and then even in your bakery, you guys are mixing some of your traditions with their traditions, as mm-hmm. you said with the flan. It sounds like it's not just community, but it's also, as you said earlier, becoming more mainstream as far as mm-hmm. your bakery is concerned. How has the mainstream acceptance of Viennese cuisine changed over the years, in your opinion? Well, uh, let me tell you. So growing up, I went to an elementary school. My brother and I were the very first Vietnamese student they ever had. Oh. They very first. I know that had to be interesting. Uh, yes. So when my mom packed us lunch, <laughs> oh, okay. it was not well received. And lunch is a big deal. Yes. Yeah, lunch, and especially at that young age, it's like either yes. you come with a cool lunch or mm-hmm. you're getting teased. And yes. that's what it is, you know? And it's like, oh, yes, that clay pot fish sauce. Oh, mm-hmm. my God. So it was, uh, it was interesting growing up and that to see how our food was being kids. Of course, you know, some of it was kind of offensive or ridiculed. But now, <laughs> if you know the best food place, you're the cool kid, right? Of course. And I think uh, my, my child, my daughter, I don't think she would have to face the same that I did okay. um, growing up because it has become a lot more mainstream, you know. Pho is it's almost uh, equivalent to chicken noodle soup, in a sense. <laughs> it's so well-known. And banh mi's, of course. That's the Vietnamese po' boy now. It's becoming accepted as a po' boy. I feel like I'm going to be on and having a completely different experience next time I go to New Orleans. Because I now know that there is a whole entire other cuisine that exists <laughs> that I had no idea was there. It's so interesting. Can you share some thoughts on the connection between food and culture and how it shaped the Vietnamese American community in New Orleans? I think food is the easiest way to understand a culture, mm-hmm. <laughs> in my opinion. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to be open, you're willing to try, I think you can learn a lot about the culture through the food. And I think it's easy, just taking the chance, just going out there, just try it. And if you like it, you know, it just opens up so many conversations and just making new friends. I think it's it's the gateway. Absolutely. I think it's the easiest gateway. If you respect another culture to be able to try new things, just do it. I mean, it's not going to hurt you. It's food, <laughs> you know. Very true. So just make the leap and just try it. If you don't like it, hey, you know, try something else. But just give it a chance. At least I've tried it. Exactly. For sure. You got to try that durian, girl. <laughs> just do it <laughs> when you say it it just makes me giggle because I think of the smell yeah. and I'm like I have to always remember inside of this strange alien piece of fruit yeah. it is amazing <laughs> holy smokes besides your bakery what are some of the places that you think people must visit when they go to New Orleans well my my mom she loves charcoal oysters <laughs> me too 
So Drago, she <laughs> she has every time I come home because she doesn't get out much either. You know, being so busy with the business and being twenty minutes away <laughs> from, mm-hmm. from everything from civilization, <laughs> uh, I always try to take her there. And like I said, I you know I love the nature part of New Orleans, the other parks that we have. Uh, let me think. When I was twenty one, I guess I could have said bourbon street but now that i'm <laughs> much older you know it's kind of like if you show up to bourbon street not already drunk it is absolutely disgusting <laughs> you have to be you know already in, in order to not be aware of your surroundings yes yeah no, yeah no but uh, you know being downtown being in the quarter it's a it's a different i don't think there's any other city like it since you have your famous, you know, king cakes, it makes me want to know what you think of something else that New Orleans is known for. And it is there. The beignets. The beignets. Yes. <laughs> yes. I love beignets. As soon as I, because um, the airport, it's close. There's a Cafe du Monde. And I stop there. I pick it up for my mom mm-hmm. and her coffee. She loves Cafe au lait. And I bring it to her. I love beignets. And we have thought about doing beignets. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's actually, my mom says that my grandfather used to make beignets. Well, then there you go. What are we waiting on? No, They call it pillowcakes. Ah. It's what it's called in Vietnamese. Direct translation, it's called pillowcakes because it looks like a pillow. Well, can you say what it, how does it sound in Vietnamese? Bangoi. Bangoi. Yeah, goi is pillow. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, you might as well. You might as well bring, you already have the flan. I know. I mean, go ahead and try and see. But listen, make them amazing. Don't make them too good. <laughs> Don't make them too good. Because, you know, I, I go to make sure that I'm going to have an experience with a beignet at Cafe Du Monde. So let's leave the king cakes over there. Yeah. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Lynn, for coming on and and sharing about your community and about your amazing bakery. I'm hoping now that I've interviewed you that when I come, that instead of waiting two hours in line to get one of your cakes, I'm going to make a phone call and hopefully it's about 30 minutes. Yes, you got connections. (laughs) Yes, you got some connections now. Yes. I appreciate it. Just give me a holler. But we only make King Cakes during Mardi Gras. Good to know. We stick to tradition. Okay, fair enough, fair enough. From King's Days to Mardi Gras (laughs) to Fat Tuesday. And that's it. That's awesome. (laughs) Thank you. No, thank you. That's all for this episode of Let's Go Together, a podcast by Traveling Leisure. I'm Kelly Edwards. Our guest for this episode was Lynn Garza, president of Dongfang Bakery in New Orleans. Learn more about the bakery by following them on Instagram at dpbakeshop and check out their website at dpbakeshop.com. Thanks to our production team at Pod People, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Marvin Yu, and Lene Beck-Sillison. Thanks also to the team at Travel and Leisure, Deanne Kurzerski, Nina Ruggiero, and Tanner Saunders. This show was recorded in Los Angeles, edited in New York City, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can find out more at travelandleisure.com slash podcast. You can find Travel and Leisure on Instagram at Travel and Leisure, on Twitter at Travel Leisure, on TikTok at Travel and Leisure Mag, and you can find me at Kelly Set Go.